0: Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz. I want to welcome all of our viewers around the world. Thank you for tuning in tonight. Hope you could spend the next hour with us. If you're joining us for the first time and want more information about our show, please visit us on the web at deadtalklive.com. I want to give a special welcome and a thank you to all our moderators on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter. They do a great job every night. Want to welcome some of our viewers tonight? Let's start with Instagram. Let's see. We have uh, Edise with, with us. I am is with us. Sunny is joining us. Ricardo is with us. Zachary Thomas John is with us. All the way from Greece. Welcome, Zachary. On the YouTube side, we have Christopher Cunningham. Facebook, we have Lindsay Sparks. Sammy is joining us. Lisa, Viviana, Mary is with us. Hey, how is everyone doing? So I mentioned yesterday that we were going to be dropping uh, some guest names. Uh, we have a lot of people lined up just waiting on confirmations. We got two to announce tonight. On April 13th, we are going to be joined by Laurie Cordell, who played, of course, Sarah in the 1985 Day of the Dead. She was the starring role in day of the dead 1985 although some would argue that bob our good old famous uh, zombie from that movie should have at least co-starring credits he really made that movie as great as it was but laurie will be joining us on april 13th now last minute special guest for tomorrow uh tomorrow we are being uh joined by the writer director and producer of the movie that is coming out this Friday starring Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who we all know as Negan on The Walking Dead, called The Unholy. And we are really psyched to have with us tomorrow uh, Evan Spiliotopoulos, or said more correctly, Spiliotopoulos in the Greek dialect. Uh, Evan is going to be joining us. Like I said, he wrote it. He adapted uh, it from a novel onto the screenplay. He produced it and he directed it. And uh, I want to give a special thanks to Sony Pictures who gave us a screening copy so we can watch ahead of the interview to be prepared tomorrow when uh, Evan is joining us. So a big thank you out to Sony uh, Pictures for giving us that screener. I saw the movie today and it was fan Fantastic. Oh my God. Uh, Of course, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is awesome as always. The dude can play any character. uh, And he brings that Negan charisma, that Jeffrey Dean Morgan charisma into every scene, every role that he plays. He is fantastic in this movie. Great storyline. Awesome acting some amazing cinematography, uh, jump scares thrown in at the least expected times, which really make them authentic jump scares. So we have a lot to talk about with Evan tomorrow. And I hope uh, you guys tune in tomorrow to watch the interview. We're not going to give away any spoilers, so don't worry about that. And I hope uh, this Friday when the movie is released, to theaters and video on demand that you guys, if you have a movie theater you want to go to or you want to see it on video on demand, this is a must watch if you're a horror fan. And especially like me, as you all know, my favorite subgenre is just this type of movie that deals with the paranormal and um, it's not a, it's not a ghost movie. I'll tell you that much. It's not a ghost movie. It's more of a uh, witches slash demon type movie without giving too much away. But it's still in the paranormal uh, subgenre, and I just loved it. I watched it today. I'm going to watch it again uh, as well. It was fantastic. And that's going to lead us straight to the article that we are going to start off with tonight. And we're going to talk about The Unholy. Uh, Of course, there's no official reviews out yet because the movie has not been officially released. It's being released this Friday, which is the 26th, no, April 2nd, sorry. Friday, April 2nd is when it's officially being released. And as you can see, it's a movie that was made to be released uh, around Easter time, thus the name The Unholy. Uh, the Easter weekend release is written and directed by Evan Spiliotopoulos. okay, Sony Pictures released the first trailer for its horror film The Unholy, in which Jeffrey Dean Morgan plays a journalist investigating a supernatural case involving the divine in The Unholy, a hearing impaired woman claims she was visited by the Virgin Mary who made her able to hear speak, and heal the sick. The phenomenon draws people from near and far, but soon Morgan's character realizes that there's something more sinister at play. The film is produced by Sam Raimi, Rob Tappert, and Evan, St- uh, sorry, Evan Spiliotopoulos, who also write and wrote and directed the film that is based on James Herbert's best-selling book called Shrine. Andrea Ajiman and Romel Adam are executive producing. Uh, Katie Asselton, William Sadler, who is a great actor. William Sadler was fantastic in this movie. Man, I I know I've been watching William Sadler from back in when he was in Die Hard Two. How many of you guys saw Die Hard Two? He played uh, he played uh well the bad guy the general who helped uh, the drug dealer being flown in from South America to escape. That's who William Sadler is. You have uh, Cricket Brown and Diogo Morgado and Carrie Elwes, who has been in movies since the beginning of movies. Uh, Carrie Elwes, whenever I see him, he will always remind me of The Princess Bride, but he has also been in Saw and multiple Saw films. And he is just absolutely fantastic. so great movie uh, it's releasing this Friday. You guys do not want to miss it and it seems like our Instagram feed has gone down. I can't seem to bring it up. It says that I'm still live, but it's not showing up anyway let me let me sh- let me shut this down and bring it back up again because I want to see what our Instagram friends are saying there we go instagram i've got you back i've got you back i won't continue this feed without our instagram people so welcome guys i can see you marie marie saying we're here so that's who we have on tomorrow make sure you tune in tomorrow to see our interview with evan now going over to jeffrey dean morgan again the walking dead star goes back to his roots um As The Walking Dead heads into its final season, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is getting back to what he loves most. Family, fast cars, candy, and of course, chickens. A scorched zombie-ravaged dystopia ain't enough to raise your kids, but desperate times require desperate measures. So when the long-running AMC series, The Walking Dead, Returned to shoot under serious COVID protocols a few months back in Sonoria, Georgia, actor Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who plays Negan, a brutal leather-clad anti-hero, brought the entire clan to live on set. Wow. I had my whole family living in Alexandria, this apocalyptic, walled-off town charred and burned down from the season before. It was crazy. I don't know why he did that, but okay. Morgan's Air, and, uh, sorry, Air B and Zoom B, as it were, happened to be the Rick Grimes house, the site of several on-screen brawls from prior seasons. Shotgun spray still pockmarked the walls where his 10-year-old son, Gus, slept. Downstairs at breakfast, they'd pour over the damage wrought by Lucille, Neg- Negan's weapon of choice a barbed wire baseball bat it was a strange place from which to administer online school but well what's normal these days Morgan said they effin' loved it says Morgan and having his 30 foot wall around the town was great too because I could let the kids and dogs out I knew they couldn't go anywhere and just thinking of it it actually makes sense to me it, it, it makes total sense to me. You're, this is a couple months back now when he came back to shoot. We were in the, in the prime, in the, in the peak of the pandemic. What safer place to be than on a filming set that has incorporated the most stringent protocols to keep everybody safe? It's a brilliant idea, actually. This morning, Morgan is a few miles from the set calling from his Ford F-150 Raptor, a pickup suitable for a zombie apocalypse. After driving it to get to his daily COVID test, shooting is underway for The Walking Dead's 11th and final season, a monster 24-episode run that will conclude in 2022. You can also catch Morgan's new film, The Unholy, a supernatural horror flick where he plays a journalist, investigating a girl who can inexplicably heal the sick in theaters April 2nd. Now, I haven't read anywhere it's coming on video on demand, but I'm pretty sure every, I mean, all movies nowadays, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, and I know my local theater is still closed, that it's being released to video on demand as well as theaters. Uh, He goes on to say, let's face it, this year has been hard for everybody, but getting back to some kind of regular work schedule has been a big relief. Though Morgan has starred in blue-chip TV series Grey's Anatomy and The Good Wife and played roles in films like Watchmen, Rampage, and The Losers, uh, how can they not mention Extant? I mean, that's like his role that has been forgotten. Yes, Jeffrey Dean Morgan played opposite of Haley Berry in Extent. And for those of you that haven't heard of it, it only lasted several seasons. I really liked it. His portrayal of the nihilistic Negan stands as the actor's defining role thus far, jump-started by a cruel, skull-smashing debut with Lucille that shocked and polarized The Walking Dead fans, Far and wide when it aired in 2016. Wow. Five years ago. It's been five years already. Damn. Time flies. The first couple of years I was on the show, I was worried that Negan was very two-dimensional. I felt like every scene was an anti-iteration of him coming out of that Winnebago And for season seven, that's what Negan really was. And I think that's what the fans were complaining of on how that whole savior arc just lasted a little too long. Uh, Morgan says before pointing out that the character has ridden a kind of redemption arc of late. This summer we'll glimpse Negan's backstory that's coming up this Sunday as Morgan's real wife, actress, Hilary Burton Morgan portrays the character's now deceased wife named Lucille. With the series end in sight, it's clear that Morgan takes his character's fate personally. Negan has become such an important part of my life, I'd be hard to make a clean cut and walk away, unless they just want to kill me. Just a knife in the back. And I'm telling you, he chose those words very carefully. And maybe that's why, that's what needs to be done for me to walk away from this guy. When The Walking Dead finally wraps, Morgan and family will pack up and head, not for the hills of Hollywood, but Rhinebeck, New York, in the Hudson River Valley. Because that's where he owns his ranch. It's a 70-acre spread of woods, pasture, and blue grass, Morgan will go back to maintaining a couple of old farmhouses and 40 animals, give or take, including alpacas, llamas, chickens, ducks, dogs, cows, and Paxton Dean Morgan, a donkey that thinks he's a dog. There you go. The Morgans call the property Mischief Farm, but it could just as easily be named, Morgan says, Shitshow in the very best way. And, you know, you look at JD and you don't see a country boy, you know, even though upstate New York, yeah, it is very rural and stuff. Uh, but, you know, he owns a ranch. He lives on a on a big plot of land with a lot of animals. After 20 some years in Los Angeles, my life took a different direction. And suddenly we bought an effing farm. It's been the coolest thing that I've ever been a part of. Most of the animals we have are all rescues and they all have funky personalities. Any one of them could be a pain in the ass on any given day. Uh, Pastoral life is a departure from Morgan who grew up outside of Seattle. It's also a return of sorts since I was about six or seven. My grandmother had a farm where I would spend weeks every summer. Living in this dilapidated airstream out with the cows, it was a huck fin type of thing. And, ah, these pop-ups. In a typically day at mischief, Morgan might shovel some donkey crap, walk the three-mile fence line, mending it if necessary, followed by a firewood chopping session. I'm a little bit obsessed with it. I love an axe but I recently got a log splitter, which has changed my life as I near 55, he says with a laugh. Then Morgan might head down to Hackett Farm Supply, see what's going on, or he could check the stocks at Samuel's Sweet Shop, a candy store the Morgan's co-own with Rhinebeck neighbor Paul Rudd and his wife and another partner. It's got everything you could possibly ask for but I still prefer the old school stuff. Hershey with almonds. Sorry, Jeffrey, but I'm a Hershey with no almonds type of guy. (laughs) So yeah, not only does Morgan get paid to pretend to be a comic book villain, then he goes home to ride tractors and feed donkeys. He also owns a damn candy store. At age 54, Jeffrey D. Morgan is living every nine-year-old boy's dream life. And until lately, it's been a pretty private one. Although Morgan is no stranger to the press circuit, he's done everything from Comic Cons to the Walking Dead cruises. He doesn't leave a long trail of gossip or confessional profiles. That's by choice. I've always been a private guy. I could give an entertaining press interview and lie about some funny story, but but wouldn't go deeper. Because it's my life, you know, at least that was my theory. Then she wrote the book. Morgan is referring to the Rural Diaries, Hillary's chronicle of meeting up with Morgan, adapting to a life on the farm, and becoming a parent. The book came out in spring 2020 and became a New York Times bestseller. Not all of the book's passages are as sweet as those covering the pair's rescue of Rhinebeck's candy shop, a kind of civic good. She also writes of miscarriages, misunderstandings, taciturn stretches between the two. Morgan says she didn't read it. Morgan says he didn't read it until it was heading to the printer. The kids went to bed and she handed me the galley, And I sat in front of me of the fireplace and read the whole book in five hours. She really took a deep dive on our personal life and let the world know some stuff that I don't know I would have. I was in tears. I woke her up and said like, wow. I mean, I don't know what to say. I'm so proud of you. I realized, I guess there's a lot there. there, Sorry. I would realize, I guess, there's not a lot there to hide anymore. And I got to tell you, there's a lot of freeing kind of emotions that goes with that. Like a weight off my shoulders. And just to interrupt there for a second, that's sort of how I live my life, okay? Uh, A lot of people keep a lot of stuff in reserve. And for you guys out there who have been watching me for a while... You will know that I will mention some stuff that, you know, you probably don't care about. But I've always been very open and transparent. That's, I don't know, that's by choice. It makes me feel more comfortable as opposed to always being careful of what I let out there. Just be open and transparent. I'm not saying it's for everybody. I'm just saying for myself. That's just how I live my life and how I can live my life and be comfortable. So when COVID hit, Morgan had an idea. Why not lift the veil even more and bring the fans to the farm? He and Hillary called in a bunch of camera gear from AMC and within two weeks, the pair were shooting Friday night in with the Morgans on which they give updates on farm life, Check in with health experts and friends like Rudds, The Walking Dead co-star Norman Reedus, or the local comic book store owner. See how they're doing and how they're kind of getting through this situation, says Morgan. The show was short-lived as so many of our group Zoom calls of spring 2020 turned out to be me, turned out to be, but Morgan says that producing the show was a way to stay home in a time of shit. So he found other diversions, the fondest of them being afternoon long country road cruises with his now three-year-old daughter, George, in his custody Dodge Challenger Hellcat. The snarl of its supercharged 717 horsepower V8 engine drowned out Drowned out by father and daughter singing along to the soundtrack to Frozen. (laughs) Because they were faced with the unexpected, sometimes it's best to just let go. The first half of season 11 of The Walking Dead will premiere in summer 2021. That's the first I'm hearing of that. With the second half uh, to follow in 2022. So, you know... I can tell by uh, some of the silence. I hope uh, the chats did not freeze up on YouTube or Facebook or any of that. But uh, that was a good article. That gave a lot of good insight. And I think my chats have frozen. I don't know what's going on with these random chats freezing up. So, let me see. Let me bring up YouTube just to make sure that you guys are still there. So... then we will continue Uh, here it goes it says that I'm still live. let me make sure that you're hearing me and seeing me yeah yeah I'm still there and you guys have been talking it's just that the chats are not coming through so I apologize Uh, let's see Khaleesi writes they've been showing ending starts this summer Uh, C.C. Reezy writes, laughing out loud, we are good. All right, you guys were just captivated by that article and learning all about J.D. Morgan's uh, life. I know I found it fascinating. So let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, The latest Walking Dead episode, the one that we talked about yesterday, was originally done completely different. Uh, Sunday's diverged episode of The Walking Dead picked up right where Find Me episode from a few weeks before left off, with Daryl and Carol in the awkward aftermath of the big argument at the cabin. But the duo was soon separated. Carol, okay, we know this. We went over this yesterday. Uh, But that's not how the episode was originally supposed to go. As showrunner Angela Kang tells EW, Instead of cutting back and forth between the two stories, as often as it did, Diverge was conceived as having a much different structure. I'll just give you a fun behind-the-scenes fact, says Kang. We actually had a very different structure to this episode. They were in this short story structure where there were separated little vignettes, and there were sort of like bookends and a middle piece. But with the way filming turned out, the pieces were so uneven that we were like, you know what, actually, where those pieces all feel they're feeding into each other emotionally, and then the way the, that Bear McCreary, McCreary instinctively scored it, it connected so much better the way at, that way at the end of the day. The mirroring effect took flight once the episode was completely re-edited, we definitely wanted to purposely have these moments where they're so similar and they'd even just have similar reactions to certain things. And she is referring to uh, Carol's character and Daryl's character, you know, in two different places, running into their own little situations, but basically sort of reacting in similar fashions. Um... So where was I? So you know what? Actually, uh, did I read that already? Yeah. The mirroring effect took flight once the episode was completely re-edited. We definitely wanted to purposely have these moments where they're similar, that they get even, that they even have similar reactions to certain things, says Kang. So that even on their own, their own little things, they're just connected psychologically. Daryl's thinking about her, she's thinking about him, and she's got his little Swiss army knife in that story. That's how it came about. We knew that we were limited in terms of scope of episode, and so using what sets and backlock locations we could, we thought it would be really more about where, where they were emotionally, as people, and as friends. Kang's revelation once again highlights... The fact that an episode of TV, like when The Walking Dead producers decided late in the game to do all of the Season 8 premiere, titled First Time Again, flashback scenes in black and white, often comes together as much in the editing room as it does during filming on set. I didn't know that's how they were planning on doing the start of All Out War, uh, titled First Time Again. Flashback scenes in black and white. I'm glad they went with what they did. And uh, it was just, it was a great episode. I love the season premiere of season eight. Colette on Facebook writes, How unfair some people can be. I think they deserve medals filming in a pandemic. Have they even took this into consideration? Yeah, you're absolutely right. They just got to be really, really creative. Want to welcome Rick Grimes, who just joined us on YouTube. Uh, let's see, Gracie is with us on Instagram. Uh, Manish wants to know, where is Rick? Uh, that's the question of the year, isn't it? Uh, Gracie's also giving us a thumbs up. Welcome to all the people who joined us on Instagram. So, let's see, Angela Kang, the idea of the episode came about because they obviously had this big fight at the end of find me and these two have such a deep relationship after many many years they care about each other so much but that was a painful one and how do you repair something like that so we thought that it'd be interesting to just show by virtue of putting them apart the lonely the loneliness they have And the pain of being a lone wolf. And in their way, they're both just trying to fix things. But what they really need to do is fix their friendship. And they're both avoiding that at the moment. And I think for Carol, the things that Daryl said to her were about, you just want to run away from Alexandria because you can't stand looking at it. And so there she is in Alexandria. And she's forced to look at it and start her own journey of trying to repair those things that she feels like she had some sort of hand in breaking. Whether or not that's true, we thought we'd do these very simple stories. Now, we talked a while back about where's Carol at, and she has been through such a journey in the wake of Henry's head, being discovered on a spike, dealing with Alpha and the Whisperers, and helping to complete that mission to make sure that the problem is taken care of for her people, but it's taken a real emotional toll. And we had talked about very early on in the writer's room, do you ever have those days where all you want to do is punch a hole in the wall? And how people actually do that sometimes. They'll punch a hole in the wall Or wouldn't it be interesting to see somebody just tear a room apart? And so this idea of the rat, which it's like the ghost that's haunting her in this episode, she gets a little obsessive about the rat, just a little bit. But really, it's not about the rat at all. It's just like the rat is a symbol of the worry she has about Alexandria falling apart. The rat is eating up their grain and she's seeing that, that they're in a problem with food, and all of it just feels so much to surmount. In some ways, she wants to pound it out and scream at Daryl, or herself, or whatever. And instead, she just takes it out on this poor piece of drywall. But it's one of these those larger-in-life moments where sometimes people wish uh, they could do that, but very rarely actually do it. And for Carol, she's reached that point where she's like, F it. Let me punch through this wall. Then she goes about fixing it, all because I think that's very much her. She wants to clean up her own messes, so it's very like her to go, to then go like, okay, I got it out of my system. What do I do next? This is some valuable insight. This is from the showrunner themselves. Um... I think it's a little bit of both. So wait, the question is, so in terms of getting it out of her system, later she asked a question to, De- to Jerry, is she broken? What do you make of that? Is she broken or is this somewhat out of her system in terms of the larger issue? I think it's a little bit of both. I think for Carol, we've tried to play that. This person who has survived so much trauma and sometimes struggled with depression, and things like that, but Jerry is somebody that she cares about and who cares about her. So she's able to be really open about it. But also with Carol, she is a person who finds ways to bounce back. Even internally, there's turmoil. For us, Carol's got to get her mojo back. That's true. And so that's the path that she is on. But I think she wants to know that her friends are still there, and she wants to be there for them. It's just a vulnerable moment, but Carol is Carol, and at the end of the day, she's really strong and smart, and I think she will find a way to pull herself back up the way she has always has. So, that's that's an awesome, uh, some awesome insight into that episode. And for you guys out there that didn't particularly like last week's episode so much, there was a purpose to it, you know? There was multiple purposes to that episode that we saw on Sunday, uh, one being to set up next week's episode. And just like we heard Angela Kang describe in this article, it's to show uh, how Daryl and Carol are dealing with their friendships by avoiding it, avoiding really talking about it, you know, with the exception being a few sporadic moments here and there. And when they do talk about it, it ends up making things a lot worse than they were before. So it's, and she's absolutely right. It had nothing to do with the rat whatsoever. She just felt like tearing some shit up. And she did. And I hope she did get it out of her system. So anyway. Uh, Khaleesi writes, Here's Negan Will, not sure about Fear. Cece wants to know, does Fear premiere this weekend? No. Fear premieres April 11th. Okay, that's when we're getting, episode 8. It's going to be, uh, let's see. Uh, this is the last of the bonus episodes that we're going to get April 4th. That's when Here's Negan is going to premiere. And then a week later... We are getting the premiere of the second half of season six of Fear the Walking Dead. Colette writes, they have all shown us their mental insights to the shit times. <laughs> That's so true. That is so true. So, uh, I thought this was funny. I'm a big Foo Fighters fan. The Foo Fighters starring in a horror comedy film from Hatchet 3 director. So that's just something to uh, keep an eye out. Um, I'm like I said, I'm a big Foo Fighters fan. So let's see. This is this had several different articles about it. I ignored the first one, but then it just kept it kept popping up when I was preparing for tonight's episode. My twisted imagination coming to life, a horror-themed house with a cemetery bar, bedroom ceiling mirrors. For sale in Brooklyn Park. And you can see the picture of it. That is a pretty unique setup. For a bedroom right there. It's a horror themed house. Which is really really cool. I mean. I would love to have a horror themed house. To live in. Listed online for sale. Uh, $225,000. Okay. Uh, a coffin in the living room mirrors and black gothic crosses surrounding the bed, a backyard bar with a real, with real cemetery gates and headstones, complete with a TV inside the back end of a hearse. The one-bedroom, one-bathroom house on Townsend Avenue in Brooklyn Park, listed online for $225,000, barely resembles the gingerbread One, uh, Billy Nicholson's mother left him in 2014. It's basically my twisted imagination coming to life, the 54-year-old basement waterproofer said in a phone interview on Monday. It all started, Nicholson said, with the backyard bar, and uh, here's a picture of the outside of the house. That just looks like a house the way it would be set up for Halloween, but no. This is how it is all year round. The shed is, has a big, uh, for those of you on Instagram who can't see this, it says crypt in front of the house, just below the roof. There's a big sign that says cemetery. There's two crosses and a headstone in the front lawn. So I think that's pretty cool. Lindsay says that's very cool. Uh, Rick Grimes, personally, I never really listened to the Foo Fighters and listened to Nirvana. Well, Dave Grohl was the drummer for Nirvana before Kurt Cobain passed away, but I'm sure you knew that already. So, so let's see what uh, what's going on. I'm just reading through the chats and what everybody is saying. So, let's see what else we have. I'm just looking at the time. Let's see what else we have. Five, yeah, you guys want to know the five best horror movies on HBO Max? I'll just go through them real quickly. The Conjuring, the first one, 2013. The Exorcist, the original. There's only one. 1973. Stephen King's It from 1990. The Shining from 1980. And Poltergeist, 1982. Those are the top five horror movies on HBO Max at the moment. And also uh, on June 4th, don't forget The Conjuring 3 is being released called The Devil Made Me Do It. It is being simultaneously released to movie theaters and HBO Max. So let's see. 30 criminally underrated horror movies that will scare the socks off you. Maybe we'll get to this one a little bit later. Let's see what else we have. Um, Okay, here's a good one. The Night House, it's a new horror movie that was filmed in upstate New York in Syracuse. It has an official trailer. So I love checking out trailers with you guys. So let's check out this one. I don't know anything about this movie. Let's just see what The Night House is all about. Do you guys believe in ghosts? I think there's something in my house. My husband took the boat out on the lake. He took a a handgun that I didn't even know that we owned, and did he leave a note? He did. You were right. There is nothing. Nothing is after you. You're safe now. You said you were safe? Safe from what? my husband. You know that we're paying people to do that, right? You don't have to do it all yourself. Owen? I just love haunted house movies. I didn't think we had secrets. Everybody has secrets. It's our house. But backwards. What the hell was he doing? Looks like Javi had a little secret. Definitely looks like my kind of movie. (laughs) I love those kind of movies. So let's see what they say. The Night House, a highly anticipated new horror movie filmed in Syracuse, New York, has a new trailer and it looks genuinely terrifying. In Night House, Beth, played by Rebecca Hall, is still reeling from the death of her husband and is left alone in the home he built for her, a lakefront house in central New York. Nightmares and disturbing visions of a presence in the house calling to her torment her, and she begins digging into her husband's belongings, and she uncovers strange and disturbing secrets and a mystery she is determined to unravel. Sarah Goldberg, Barry, De Curtis-Hall from Die Hard 2, Evan Kit, Togetherish, and Stacy Martin, Nymphomaniac, also star in this Fox Searchlight release that first debuted at the 2020 Sundance Film Festival to rave reviews. The Nighthouse was shot in Syracuse in the spring of 2019, including scenes at Maxwell Taverns. This is from a local paper in Syracuse. But uh, I agree with you, Lindsay, who writes, I love Rebecca Hall. She is a great actress, And uh, I'm going to watch this movie. It definitely looks interesting. Uh, So let's see, looking at the time. uh, Let's see what this is about. This is from Fangoria. And yes, Fangoria is still around. uh, Who? A Vietnamese horror premiere. Uh, Yes, it's true. Vietnam does make horror movies. Horror horror. Not just wartime horror. While only still a budding scene when compared to the horror industry in Japan, Korea, Thailand, or Hong Kong, Vietnam's horror landscape is an active one, even if omnipresently supervised by censors who align their functions with folkways and at times at odds with the young rating system. The internet has always been the sanctuary of Vietnamese films, of all genres and forms, often represented as a YouTube video or episodic links on an ad lay streaming site, any way they could to get those movies seen. Home media release is rare once the title finishes its local in its local theatrical run. So how my cousin acquired the DVD for my introduction to the Vietnamese horror, 2004's Oguan's Spirits is something into which I wanted to pry. Victor Vu's film, a 105-minute triptych mainly filmed in the backyard of a home in Santa Ana, California, wasn't exactly challenging, and a large part of the U.S. borns cast's Vietnamese pronunciation wasn't perfect, but this was a colossal watershed moment. While vibes strongly reminiscent of Ringu and Dark Water can be felt in the ghostly sequences, what mattered most to me was the movie allowed me to answer, have I seen a horror film that was made in Vietnam or by a Vietnamese American filmmaker yet? With a heck yeah. So, there you go. This movie was made, was released way back in 2004. The uh, when talking about the movie Spirits. So let's go back to, let's quickly see 30 criminally underrated horror movies that will scare your socks off. The Invitation. Awesome. Number two, Session 9. Three, The Black Coat's Daughter. This is a great movie. And I just saw this recently. Um, great movie. Check it out. I'm not going to go much into it. Number four, The Faculty... 2018, number five, The Wailing, number six, Ganja and Hess, Juon, The Grudge, Taurus Trap, Afflicted, that's another great movie, uh, it's, it, it's 2013, definitely worth checking out if you haven't watched it yet, uh, number 10, The Awesome Train to Busan, number 11, The Girl on the Third Floor, Lake Mungo, Goodnight Mommy, From Beyond, Body at Brighton Rock, Wounds, uh, Possessor, Creep, Black Box, Mitsomar. Helions, The Daughter of Darkness, The Crazies, I almost forgotten about that, that was such a great film as well. Uh Tatusio, The Bullet Man, Southbound, uh, The Alchemist Cookbook, Emily, The People Under the Stairs, 1991, The Platform, Overlord, and that's it. Dirty, criminally underrated films. And, you know, I don't know if I agree with uh, some of these, like Somar is not an underrated film it's gotten rave reviews and it's gotten a lot of attention so i really don't believe this film deserves to be on this list so uh viviana writes all the movies are awesome and amazing Lindsay sparks writes the faculty was made in the 90s um am i wrong about that i don't know let me see let me find that again the fac yeah, the faculty is from 2018. It might it might have been a remake from a movie in the nineties, but this faculty that they're talking about is from 2018. And Khaleesi, yeah, same thing. How is Train to Busan on this list as being underrated? So I don't know if they just got their headlining screwed up or what. Wanna welcome this VIS is with us in on Instagram. Welcome. Uh, welcome to Arma, also, who's giving us a smiley love face. Uh, welcome to all you guys on Instagram. So let's get started in the time we have left with our topic for tonight. We are basically going to be talking about, well, horror heroes, horror protagonists, any way you want to, you know, call them. Last girl standing. Any which way you want to... Look at them, call them horror heroes, is what we're talking about. So, the list that we put together, and I think this is number one, and that is Ripley, played by Sigourney Weaver from the Alien franchise. Great casting after getting unanimous approval from the female crew members, from the production office, one of the first female survivors who took an action role Versus just being a survivor. That's what makes uh, the character Ripley in Alien. And she was in a, the majority of the Aliens movies. Um, was that not only did she just just fight to survive and avoid the Alien. She literally went on the offensive against the Alien. And particularly Aliens 2. Aliens, which is, it's not called aliens too, it's just called aliens. But in that second movie, when she runs across the queen uh, alien laying her eggs, uh, I mean, it was—it's one of my favorite movies. A lot of people did not like Aliens. I thought it was a great sequel to the original. The original is a lot better. You just can't reproduce a movie like that again. Uh, you know, spaceship lands on a strange planet, they encounter an alien ship that's full of these eggs, one of them gets infected, brings it back to his ship, an alien bursts out of his chest, that alien grows into a full-sized creature, starts taking out the crew one by one, Ripley's the last one, and she goes on the offensive, but absolutely... She's number one on my list. Uh, Lindsay Wright. she went head-to-head with the Queen Alien. Yep, yeah, no doubt about it. Um, let's see. Okay, number two on the list. Now, number two is really somebody who's opposite of uh, Ripley for the majority. And we're talking about the original movie here. And that is, of course, Laurie Strode. And I'm talking about the original... 1978 Halloween. She was definitely a survivor who was just on the defensive the whole way through, throughout the movie. And then we go to, you know, Halloween 2018, where we see a completely different Laurie Strode. She has been living the last 40 years of her life, almost knowing that Michael her and Michael are going to show down again. So the Laurie Strode that we see in 2018 is a much different Laurie Strode than we saw in the original movie. She is a badass. That house that she built, uh, where her and Michael face off at the end of Halloween, 2018, man, talk about a badass house when she was going, uh, into each room to find where he was and after she would clear a room she would step out of the room push a button and this metal door would come out of the doorframe and seal it off i mean she thought of every possible scenario when she had that house built i would have loved to heard the conversation between herself and the contractor but hell Knowing how much of a badass she was so many years later on, I wouldn't be surprised if she built that house by, with her own two hands. And it might have taken her a good 30 years to build. But that was an excellent, excellent uh, arc from the Lori Strode we saw in the first Halloween movie, uh, 1978, to the Laurie Strode we saw 40 years later. In Halloween 2018. Now, next is Ashley Williams. uh, The Evil Dead franchise. Played by the infamous Bruce Campbell. Uh, Another guy who, in the first movie, at least for the majority of it, was on the defensive. Uh, You know, this movie, no doubt about it, was Bruce Campbell's breakout role. The Evil Dead, I mean made him into this huge star and he went on to play so many different roles on television in these very very popular uh tv shows uh evil dead's first half played out as half of a remake of the original due to rights issues was supposed to lose and he was supposed to lose an eye in the original draft of the second movie which is called army of darkness And I've told you guys this story. When I went to the movie, I saw Army of Darkness in the movies. When I went to that movie theater and I'm sitting down to watch the sequel to Evil Dead, which is, in my opinion, one of the scariest films of all times. And then I got hit with Army of Darkness. I did not like it at first because I was really disappointed. It was very comedic. Uh, and that's not what I was expecting. I've come to appreciate it a lot more as the years have passed. But, yeah, I remember watching it as a little kid in the movie theaters, and I was really sorely disappointed in the direction that they took Evil Dead Part 2. So, let's see who else we have on this list quickly. We have Sally Hartstein, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The original film was a subtle animal rights movie. Sally's actress Marilyn Burns became an outspoken animal rights activist who hid her cameo appearance in the fourth movie of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Marilyn Burns has only made other appearances in the franchise with brief cameo in the Texas, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. She played a hospital patient, and Texas Chainsaw 3D as Werner Carson. Now, Tommy Jarvis, of course. He was a guest on our show early last week. Uh, the, the great Tom Matthews. Uh, at least that's who played him in, in uh, Part 6. Uh, Corey Feldman played him when we first meet Tommy Jarvis in Friday the 13th Part 4, the final chapter, he was played by several different actors. Another guy played him in part five, and then Tom Matthews got the part for Friday the 13th part six, Jason Lives. Um, is the only male survivor to beat Jason instead of just escape. And damn it, Tommy, he had Jason dead at the end of the final chapter. Jason was done. He was not coming back. But in part six, he had to go back to that cemetery because he had an itch to see his corpse. And what does he do? He ends up bringing the sucker back to life. Of course, that's how it always works in the movies. He couldn't just let him lay there and die. And he knew he wasn't around killing people anymore. But it had traumatized him so much as a child, He had to go back, and it resulted in him bringing Jason Voorhees back to life. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. We are out of time. Uh, Tune in tomorrow. It's going to be a very fascinating interview. I know you guys have not watched The Unholy yet. I hope you guys do watch it, either when it does come out this Friday or soon after. We are having the writer, director, and producer of the film uh, Evans Spiliotopoulos tomorrow it's going to be a great interview and we're going to have great questions lined up for him and so just tune in and and hopefully it will get you all jazzed up to see the movie when it does become publicly available for more information please visit our website to see all of our upcoming guests and featured episodes plus a lot more information, deadtalklive.com. I'll be back with you guys on the air tomorrow night to do our interview with Evan at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. And until then, stay safe and always stay walking. Good night, guys.